0: Hello and welcome to Burefest Brewers Roundtable. This is a series where we get some brewers together to exchange some beers and then get online and use those beers as a jumping off point for a chat. It might focus on the beers sometimes, sometimes we focus on brewing techniques, might get into beer scenes, might just get into stories of their brewing history. Um, Either way, it's a lot of fun and very informative. So before we start the first one, I thought I'd just let you know where the idea came from and what it's about. So my name is Brian O'Connell. I'm not a brewer, but I have an interest in beer. And during one of the lockdowns over COVID, I decided why not try and learn a bit more? So that's where this idea came from. I started contacting brewers, they were all very generous, they're all loved to talk about beer. So we arranged this. Um started with um just Irish brewers, but then it moved on, and since then I've had brewers from across Europe basically, from as far north as Finland, as far south as Cyprus, and um, west as Ireland and over as far as Romania to the east. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, I hope you'll enjoy this first one and that, that you'll stay around and subscribe to listen to the others that are coming. We've done quite a number now and we, we're still doing them. So if you want to come in on a Saturday, feel free, just check out com for the details. It's free um, and you can join in and also please do subscribe to the podcast and of course rate us if you can um but in the meantime just enjoy this one which features Cormac from Dungarvan Brewing, Rick from Kinnegar Brewing and Johnny from Tropel Brewing. They're three Irish brewers and they've been around they're were some of the pioneers in Irish brewing and they've basically have seen the scene grow up around them so it's very interesting they have a lot of experience a lot of um a lot of insight so i think you'll enjoy it so please just here we go that's it so as i said we have rick from Kinnegar, we have cormac from dungarvan and we have johnny coming from trouble and i don't know if you want to introduce yourselves as you're all among the three of the kind of the longest lasting breweries i guess at this stage and like it's been a load you've been around for 10 years or so so um i'm sure there's, there's plenty of things you've seen um so maybe if i just want to want to ask what we're talking about today is kind of porters and stouts and that so um maybe someone will jump in before we talk about a particular one and is there a difference between a porter and a stout or is it just all the same now who wants to take that
1: one i think Cormac. Corm- i think i think Cormac Corm- should think Corm- answer that he's been around longer than the rest of us. The- sorry i can't hear it. No, i missed
2: that <laughs> uh,
0: no i'm, I'm put straight with the hard, we hard put- questions we put down porters and stouts and i for one have a vague idea that I think there might be a difference, but one that that is just historical, but that they're really the same thing. But I don't know if that's actually true or uh, kind of a midwife's tale or what.
2: Um, it's, it's it's a fairly nebulous kind of difference between the two, I think. I mean, it, it depends on kind of different definitions. If you look at the Brewer's Association style guide in America, I mean, they talk about um, the use of roasted barley, Un molded barley, if it's in it's a state, it's not the porter, but even that some porters will have a small amount of roasted barley, some states will have very little. I mean that in itself is a fairly nebulous thing. I think generally the pattern would be if it's low on roasted barley and it's a bit lighter bodied, a bit lower alcohol, it normally gets bungled in with the porters. Um, but even that is kind of up for up for discussion really. Okay.
0: Yeah, but what I had heard was that it was back basically a stout used to be a strong reporter and they were the same thing, but one was had more alcohol and then for some reason to do with tax, the weaker ones got pushed out of the market or something. That was what I understood, but I, I never quite figured it out, to be honest with you. So um, I I
1: think uh, I think in modern terms I mean, we we like like we've taken a like as Johnny says, it's, it can be pretty nebulous. We've taken a very um uh call it, we've taken a very undisciplined approach we call ours a porter um but you know we do that simply because i find that especially in ireland if you call it a stout people are actually you know most people are expecting a nitrogenated stout so by calling it a porter what we're doing is 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 giving an indication to to consumers that look uh we're you know this is this is not a, a you know substitute product for a guinness or an alternative product to a guinness or a nitrogenated stout but um, so it's really just kind of giving a cue the way we, we see it. We're just giving a cue to the consumer to expect something, you know, that's a little bit different than what they're used to calling a stout. Right. Um, so right. we're not, we're you know, we, we, we personally, we don't stick to, you know, the, the I suppose, the his, historical kind of definitions of stouts and porters. Um, as Johnny described, we don't, we don't actually use any roasted barley in, in the, the beer that we have here today. Gianparati. So, it does kind of fit more into the poorer category in terms of you know its, it's, it's composition, but it's really just the way we see it acute to the consumer
0: right, yeah, because I suppose it, it's hard, especially in Ireland, like you think stout, you think yeah, you, you think that that the iconic kind of Guinness, and that's it with the creamy head and the that's that's the idea the idea of the idea of, stout here so um, yeah, maybe maybe start since we've got talking there, um, Rick, so the Yana Roddy. What maybe you can describe it, and yeah. we can have a have a go and see how long that's part of your core range, is it?
1: Yeah, it's probably uh, it's probably the fourth beer that we came out with. Um, I think the first first beers we came up with: um, Lime Burner, Scraggy Bay, Rust Bucket, Devil's Backbone. No, it's fifth. Um, so it's it's been around since the early days of, of of when we started brewing, and you know we just wanted something that was you know. Uh, in the in the porter category that was you know relatively easy drinking um, one of the things that we don 't kind of put too you know too big on the on the front of the label is that we um, we actually use coconut in it All right. um, the coconut um, you know we don 't the idea of the coconut is not that somebody should get this kind of big blast of coconut um, you know like a like a bounty bar um, the idea is more that the coconut mingles with some of the the roasted malts just to give a, a slightly kind of a chocolatey character so it's perceived more as chocolate i think than coconut
0: okay that's interesting i, I didn't know there was any coconut
1: in it i should have researched this before we came on but, um so what about it's actually what, what many people don't, many people don't know is it's actually it's a it's a very local ingredient the uh, the coconuts come in on the tide um and we harvest them down on the on the beach we kind of bring them up from the beach and then you know it's about once or twice a year they come in really
0: okay we had our first technical difficulty here and just at the a, a point i had no idea that we were getting coconuts coming in coming in here now this is sorry yeah you're back so we were just hearing about coconuts uh, we don't...
2: Okay. Okay, i think can we hear you
0: hey,
1: i can i can hear you brian
0: Okay, so, yeah, so um, you were saying you, you've naturally harvested coconuts in Ireland in
1: your beer. Yeah, well, well, it was that was a bad joke. No, we don't harvest them off the <laughs> yeah. uh, I did tell that so somebody ate a beer. Yeah. I told somebody that at a beer festival once, though, and they did believe me, and they left thinking that that was the truth, so I... I uh, <laughs> you had me. I really feel guilty about that.
0: <laughs> I was in shock, but you had me. <laughs> Okay, so um, now red faced. Um, so, what do you think makes it, lads? Have you tried it there? Um, what do you think makes yeah. it kind of special or makes it a bit different?
2: Uh, well, I mean, I've always really, really loved this beer, and uh, this was one of the first uh, craft bears I actually started drinking when I was younger. Kind of. um, and it's always been that chocolate, that I've always really liked, about. Um, that has like it's a, it's got a little bit of coffee and then a little bit of chocolate, which I've always liked a lot, and, and all the while being kind of quite smooth and not like super rich. Right. I didn't yeah, know I, I coconut, I, the coconut I knew that there was, because um, I always liked that um, coconut gel, which you do sometimes as well, um, which obviously has got a lot more coconut. I've always liked that a lot. I never realized there was um, coconut in the January.
1: Yeah. So, no, it's, it, I think it's, the expression of it does come across, I think, usually just a bit of chocolate, um, which is what we're looking You know, I, I, uh, drinking a bounty bar, I think, would be a bit um, unctuous, a uh, bit too too heavy.
2: Okay. Yeah. And where, does the, where is the um, is that, so is it desiccated coconut that you're using?
1: Yeah, we to- we toast it, yeah. It just draws the oil out. And then we basically we dry hop with coconut. Oh, okay. So what we're doing is we're adding add yeah, a bit of...
2: So it's going
1: in the dry hopping process, obviously. Yeah,
0: exactly. And do you think that? I'm just wondering, like a porter stove is it a more flexible type of beer to to brew it? That you can kind of can you do more with it because it, it's a richer type of beer, or is it harder to to kind of do flavors with, or compared to others? Um,
2: I think it depends. I mean, we were doing, um, just before Christmas, we did a little, on on our pilot kit at the brewery, we did a a chocolate and orange stout that we were trying out. Um, I'm kind of assuming the same as you, that you can can play around with a bit, but I mean, it got much too orangey and much too chocolatey very, very quickly. (laughs) Um, So I think that you you do, um, it tends to be a very fine tipping point, I find, where it can be not enough, not enough, not enough, and then it can just fall off the cliff and be undrinkable within a very
3: fine margin I think, a lot of the time. Yeah, we found that as well. Like, I suppose you, know, you have that, that roast or whatever you have in going on, there's plenty of, you know, big flavors there anyway, even in a basic stout. And you're adding, yeah, even if it's orange, we did with coffee and other things. And it's like, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing, and not oh, much, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're trying to find that sweet spot where, and things like orange and you have those chocolatey flavors and they always go well together. And um, if you can get just enough that the hint of it there, I mean, I'm drinking this now, and, yeah, it says coconut on the, the label, but, you know, you wouldn't ex- – like, I can't pick out coconut, but you can see how it would add that little bit extra there. I mean, I think Rick is right in not kind of advertising <laughs> the fact because people would be looking for coconut right in the face then, whereas it's it's there and it's subtle and it's doing something else really. Um, it makes yeah. it more interesting. But yeah, I find that as well with stouts that it can take a lot and it can get lost in the mix, and then all of a sudden it can just take over.
0: So it is a bit of a
3: bit of a balancing act.
0: Yeah, I would and agree. And is that something then that you, you basically don't know that until, that until it comes out at the very end, so you're just kind of trying the next batch with it a bit less, and is that how it works? Then? Or do you have some way of testing it partway through and kind of separating things out, or is it just purely try it all, doesn't work, try it with a bit less,
4: and...
2: Like, <laughs> I find just adding a little bit time after time adding a little bit letting it mix tasting it adding a bit more and just knowing when knowing when to stop and knowing kind of making that judgment call of the next edition is going to be a step too far and not take that extra step you know and okay. kind of the, the look or the skill of it you know just stop it
0: right well you have to be a bit more restrained you just have to restrain yourself yeah so um I wonder if we, we have some people in the audience here. Do you have any questions? Um we might or any comments. Have you tried the Yanoradi? Anybody there? Put your hand up if you're if you want to come on and uh here's someone. Paul, do you want to come up and um come up and ask the question? Let's see if I can invite you on to see. you'll be able to do this if I was me here one second. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to work the controls on this thing. Um, There's no problem with going live the first time. Um, I'm still working out the controls. I thought I could. <laughs> thought I could do this directly from here. And it turns out I can't. Because Paul has a question here. And um, Paul, can you do the thing down there, the, the raising your hand, maybe? And we'll get you up. There he goes. Perfect.
4: Oh, you can hear me again. Yeah, we can hear you. We can't see you, but we can hear you. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, um, we've been we've been starting uh, brewing our own beer, and one of the things we tried was adding uh, a flavoured um, coffee. We're also thinking of using syrups that are flavoured to, you know, enhance our beer. So I was wondering if uh, any of the, the breweries use flavoured syrups or anything like that? Um, yeah, so I think they're very sugary, and they'll have, like, mint, and... Yeah, um, vanilla and hazelnut and stuff like that. So I wonder if that's an easy way of flavouring the beer.
2: Um,
4: it it can be, I find,
2: but those those ones are particularly liable to go over the top quite quickly. And and um, I find sometimes they can leave an odd kind of an odd kind of taste in the beer. And um, I would generally kind of prefer more kind of solid additions or like fruit purees and stuff. I think generally work better than the kind of syrups i think the syrups can kind of get a bit they can be much more difficult to balance i find trying to kind of keep under control um but i suppose it's kind of probably depends person on person
0: yeah so i definitely sauce, so none of you really go with the syrups it's more just the, the kind of the natural ingredients well
3: yeah we've, we've used a little yeah. bit of fruit puree but i think but, a few years ago we got um we got like free samples of syruping did a few things just to see how it works, and it was a bit kind of novelty or a bit kind of yeah, very quickly over the top and sickly sweet kind of. Um,
4: so yeah, we didn't go any further with that.
0: Right. Uh, Paul, you what are you doing? Yeah. You're brewing yourself down there.
4: Um, sorry, no. Oh, you ask me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we just, we just got a kit, um, and we we're doing yeah. coopers, and we were, we we're brewing about you know forty four bottles of stout and we just thought we'd uh, we try a few just a bit of experimenting so we tried a few with uh, vanilla it worked out quite well and um, we got these flavored coffees that also worked well um i we tried chocolate syrup which i it didn't work i think it messed up how they i remember the oils or something it's something in it messed up the the head and stuff like that and it came out sort of brown
1: Right. So, yeah. yeah, I'd say it's it's, yeah. it's, it's, the, fat, it's the fats and the chocolate syrup, i sure. Yeah, that's what we think, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, Paul, well, by the way, um, since you're the first person brave enough to come up here, we're going to give you a spot prize as well, so we'll um, arrange some years to be sent to you from the, the lag. Thank you. Um, but since you're, you, you were the only brave person so far, so maybe someone else will inspire someone else to come and do something as well. Oh,
4: great, thank you very much. Cheers
0: well don't thank me thank them so uh, yeah we, we'll arrange that i'll take your details later and um or i'll send you an email later and uh, get your details and send it on to the, the people and we'll get you some beer out Grand, grand. all right thanks for coming up if you've got any more questions do come up but you're not getting any more spot prizes so, <laughs> 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 so I'll let us go um so yeah so that's the anirati and have you tasted that paul by the way since you're there
4: yes we're drinking it right now it's a very nice i've had it before um uh, but yeah, we're having the bottle. Just got it today from um, Ali's in Super- in Selbridge. Uh, so yeah, very nice. Good. Quite, yeah. it's quite, quite roasty, um, sweet, uh, but very smooth. Yeah, I like it.
0: Good. So yeah, so so that's good. Um, I don't know. Anybody else have any any questions here? So we just let me just check here. This is the problem with these things. I have to keep jumping around the place to see what people are saying. Um, so yeah, so uh, mostly. Uh, let me know, what was I going to uh, ask? Sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. So yeah, that's the inner is coconut, which I didn't realise. I should have. I should have looked that one up really. But um, I guess I kind of didn't expect to see a coconut in it. But just you know. So um, <laughs> how about uh, you, Johnny? You've got uh, dark garts.
2: Yeah. So this is the. This is probably a bit more of the compared to the other two lads. Uh, this is probably a bit more of a kind of straight up kind of shooting from the hip kind of, um, kind of porter less and um, less adjuncts and, stuff like that. and so this uh be i think this is the only one of our original recipes from our from the first kind of brews that is still going and so it's our oldest surviving recipe i mean, it's the second and third one the lads did up and and it's a pretty pretty straight up dry porter and so there's no uh, roast barley, but there is a little bit of uh, black, or what's called patent malt, which is um, barley that's been malted and then um, uh, roasted to a very high level to similar levels as unmalted barley. Um, so you get kind of a little bit of astringency, and a little bit of bitterness um, coming through from that, but it's not quite as acidic um, as the roast barley would be. Um, and uh, we also, we... Do we have we did, made this originally for Nitro? And um, obviously it's CO2 from the kind of the bottle, but we do it on like, draft of Nitro as well. And um, we <coughs> maybe accused me a little bit at the time looking at Guinness a little bit more. Maybe we were a little to be fair to us. Um, but we still went at a a porter. It still is on the lighter side, and um, compared to most kind of like dry states, it's a bit punchier, it's a bit kind of more. Of a
0: session porter, I'd say. The way you go for? Right. What do you What do you think of it, Rick or Cormac, compared to the the Anirotti? How would you how would you describe it?
1: Well, I've always been a big fan of. I've always been a fan of of of, of dark arts. Um, I've had it both in its 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 nitro and its um CO two versions, and uh, I think they both drink quite quite nicely. Um, you know, it's I think it's a, it's a it's a classic kind of um you know, you know easy drinking uh you know porter. Uh, but very very enjoyable. Do you use uh, sorry uh, uh, Johnny and, and Cormac? Do you guys use much in the way of dehusked, uh, as in like the the, the carafa uh, malts uh, for making porters and stouts, or do you stick pretty much to kind of like the, the standard kind of blacks and the uh, you know roasted? Um, we we
2: use a little bit of crystal malt um, in it, not much, a little bit, uh, but mainly looking more. No, it was, it was- the chocolate malts and black malts, and a little bit of light barley as well, yeah. just for any attention. a um, little bit, but not a lot.
1: No, sorry, it was it was it was it was carafa. It was the the dehusked um, uh, oh, black right. roasted malts that you get. arguments uh, no. whether, whether you use carafa.
2: No, not really.
3: No, we
1: don't either. No. Okay. Oh.
2: Yeah.
0: What, what what does that do for it, Rick? What, what difference does that it, make?
1: Uh, there's like obviously there's you know. The step in the process before the brewer gets his hands on things is, is, is obviously the maltster. So, you know, it's the person who is is basically preparing, you know, the the, the barley f- for us. Um, and they, they have a lot of different kind of tricks at their disposal in terms of what they can do to it. Um, uh, there's uh, some specialty maltsters, one of them is uh, environments in Germany. And what they do is they actually strip the husk off the barley uh, before roasting it. Um, and so you can get many of the same flavors that you're looking for, but by stripping the husk off, it tends to keep some of the kind of, uh, excessive bitterness of, of, of say roasted malts out of it, which is quite interesting. So, you know, you can, you can kind of get many of the flavors, but, but kind of knock back some of the excessive bitterness.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is the thing. I mean, I, I don't have one too on this. I, I have so so i'm the person i'm the right person to be asking questions because i know just enough to know what i don't know um so uh so yeah so i mean the, the porter obviously i would I expect it's meaning it's, it's that malt that, that gives it most of its flavors compared to say the hops or the yeast where they they'd be influencing ipas and wild fermentation so it would be mainly the malt that 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 affects the the and from porter is it
1: yeah, I mean, they're, they're, like everything plays its part, but it, but, a, but a, a stout reporter would definitely be what we we would call they a a malt-driven beer rather than you know a hops-driven beer or you know or, or a yeast-driven beer. So it's it's very definitely the, the the malt which is playing the greater part of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's what
0: I understood. Nice. Right. Um. So yeah. So anybody else got a, got a comment on the the dark arts? That anybody in the audience want to come up and. and Tell us what you think of it. Uh, is it one of one that you use or that that you drink regularly? I mean, you were saying it's there
3: pretty much from the start. Has it been or... Yeah, I think it was one of the of the first
2: like three or four ones that they put out. Yeah, uh, it's the only one I think that's still surviving. Most the others have been uh, put to bed at this stage.
0: And it's there. Yeah, that, that that brings me like two of you, These are the core beers. Um, Cormac, yours is one of the stalwarts. How important is it to have? A good porter stout in in your core range, especially in Ireland.
2: I think it's very important. Um, I think like most consumers would. Uh, most the
0: time. And how do you end up changing that then? I mean, if you've you said like this is the only one that that's left from yours, um, how do you, how do they drop out of a core range? Is it just purely sales, or do you just get think that you can do better, or you get bored, or?
2: Like fashion, I think is something that Like when trouble would have been the first two trouble recipes, right? The first trouble beers. I mean, IPA very much just kind of would have meant either English style or West Coast, for instance. But then as time got on and the ambush got popular and the hazy IPAs gotten a bigger, you know, we we would do less of more West Coast style and more and more kind of East Coast hazy IPAs, stuff like that. I think drives a lot of it, and um, just what's in what's in fashion kind of way.
1: And then that's purely down to capacity. Perspective. I think stouts and porters. You know, if we if we want to call it the craft sector, I think it's probably only responsible for it's it's less than five percent of the overall kind of sales of the of the craft sector. Right. So you know, even you know, if we if we talk about being you know, uh, you know, if Ireland is a is a you know a, a stout country, you know, based on on Guinness and the, the, you look at the sales of Guinness, those those that that interest in stouts doesn't necessarily translate into the the, the so called craft sector, um, you know the, the, it would be it would be very much kind of like more of a niche, uh, you know part of of, the- right,
0: yeah I suppose like when you think about it, you know people are very well Irish people like very possessive about the Guinness it is iconic and it is we almost treat it like a crafting because you know with the the settle and the pour and and all of that it's almost yeah. treated like a craft beer even yeah. though it's you know it is what it is. And I mean, it is a yeah. it is a decent bike. it's not you know when it's run well. Yeah.
3: yeah, but it's, most it's kind of like um. You know, as Rick was saying, I think anybody who makes a stout or a porter, it's it's not going to be the biggest setting in the range. And there are, of breweries out there now that don't even look at them stouts or porters. Um, but to me, it's kind of you, you get to you know instead of just everybody could make KZ IPAs and it'll sell really well. But as a brewer, you get to sort of show or buy different things and have a bit of a range and i think that's important as well even for breweries to have a bit of a range um it keeps it interesting yeah they're not gonna be the biggest sellers but everybody as you can see even by the couple of samples we have here everybody has their own acon stout porter category and there's, there's huge variations out there so it's it can be a really interesting dub style and yeah it won't be the big seller but i think it will be very boring if we all decided not to brew them just because they're not big sellers. Um, right. You know, I, I just think it keeps it interesting, and you can say that for a lot of different styles. I mean, we can all go where the fashion is going. And as Johnny said, like you know, tastes have changed, and IPAs are huge. Um, should we all not bother making stouts and red ales and prisoners and everything else? Or, or it, like as a craft, I think it's it's the broad range that, that is appealing to people. You know, we started, yeah. a lot of breweries started saying we want to give a bit more choice because there isn't much choice out there. So, mm-hmm. so we try to, like we have, you know, a lot of different beers that we make, a lot, like a lot of lads here, and it's all about even giving that choice. Yeah, not mm-hmm. everybody will want to drink stout, but people still want the choice. It, we could very easily turn into uh, this thing where craft beers in Ireland, craft beers everywhere is just hazy IPAs and suddenly there's no choice anymore. Um so to me that's why I think it's important that a lot of different breweries try a lot of different things
0: and, and keep keep it more of a broad church. So yeah well it was that that's what comes across I think from all the things that craft is it isn't just a business. Like you're yeah, you have to make it into a business, but no one seems to be doing it just for the business reasons. It's it is because you want to try out new things. You want to develop new things and just experiment and just enjoy the beer. So you're willing to yeah. take well, what's almost, a, yeah. almost it just to, to do that.
3: And it's funny how even Donnie was saying like when ourselves in trouble, we, we pretty much started the same day and we were the tail end of every brewery that started, you had your stout, your lager style or whatever it is, and your red ale, and that's what you had. And it was kind of demonstrating your range. Very soon after that, we suddenly had all these newer breweries that said, no, we don't have to do it anymore. We'll just bring out, you know, sours or whatever it is, you know, um, which is great as well. But I think it's important to, to maintain these sort of traditions, if you want, you know. and yeah. enjoy when I see breweries coming out with, yeah, different stouts, different red ales, All these categories that aren't going to be the most popular or biggest sellers, but it's people showing what can be done and keeping... Keeping the whole range of Irish beers interesting, you know, not just everybody chasing what's the biggest seller.
1: Um, yeah. If we're all in here to it's make money, pretty... I think we're all in the wrong
2: business.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be a fairly, it'd be a fairly kind of um, meager landscape if it was just full of hazy IPAs. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, since yeah. we're talking about that, let's move on. So Cormac and or sorry. Johnny, um, does anybody else have any comments on the, the Dark Art, what, what you compared it to against, say, Yana Roddy? If there's what, what would strike you as the difference, and then we move on, maybe and talk about a special, the, the coffee and opening. No one from the audience. Um, I do have a question here from Brendan Carroll. Um, he can't come on stage, he says, but um, he's wondering, Johnny, if you're going to do Dark Art and Cask.
2: Um, yeah, we do. We don't like. We usually do. I cast for the dark arts every probably one every two months or so. Um so we've normally we have we've usually got one in either rap Sheep or Underdog. Um so I think when things are opened up again we'll be looking to get probably one cast of dark arts into either of those would be well, well I hope anyways, I because I mean I, I definitely like it on cast best. That's, that's where I okay that's uh, where I drink. Um Dark Rails personally. So I'd probably back that here.
0: So yeah, that's good news there, Brendan. Um, actually, we don't have enough people coming on stage, so I'm, I'm finding it hard now to give away prizes here. Um, somebody come on and talk to us so we can give away some of these people's T-shirts next. Yeah, we're, we're waiting for that. Um, I also have to do the, the one for the tweet, who who did the tweet, and I don't think we have enough people on live today, but uh, when they see the replays, they, they might come on live the next time. Um, so yeah, Cormac, you've got the coffee and over me, so this isn't your core range. This is, it's not seasonal either. You don't do it every season, is it? it it's a special. Just...
3: Uh, yeah, well, we do it every winter.
0: It, oh, Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, well, we
3: don't, we don't call it a Christmas here. We don't have a Christmas beer, but it's usually about November or so. We bring out um, a batch of this. Um, so, yeah, it's not year-round. We have our, our Black Rock is our year-round stout. Um, and uh, yeah, this is just something. I, I think we've done, done it about nearly 10 years now. Um, so it's a fairly regular seasonal. Um, there is, is roasted Barley in this. There's also chocolate malt and a few other bits. And um, the oats, obviously, we get from Flavins. We're only down the road from us. And um, which kind of... I find the oats just kind of add a bit of a sort of a creaminess to the, the texture of it, and then every every year we put a different coffee into it. Um, it's Badger and Dodo again, who are about 40 minutes the other direction from us, and uh, we kind of go to them and say what's new and interesting in the coffee world because I don't know, you know, I like to drink coffee, but they're their finger on the pulse of it, and they come up with a few suggestions, and we might do a couple of tastings and see what we think will work with well with a. Uh, in a stout and yeah, so every year we pick a different coffee. So every year it's you know obviously gonna be slightly different.
0: Um and it just kind of keeps it interesting. And where do where do they come into the brewing process then the, the oatmeal and the thing is that where do you add them?
3: Uh the, the oats go with the um with the grist so during the mash and we add the coffee then actually we add in the fermenter. Um okay. we brew an oatmeal stout and then we add coffee to it. Uh, we experiment with different um, stages of adding the coffee and we just find we we can get better, I suppose, consistency of flavor adding it then. Um, you know, I know some people add, you know, the roasted beans into the match and things like that. But uh, we tend to just add the coffee into the into the fermenter. And as Johnny was saying earlier, like we kind of, uh, you know, we'll add some coffee, we'll taste it, we'll add some coffee, we'll taste it, and, and it can be the, like, no coffee, no coffee, and then you hit that sweet spot, then all of a sudden there's too much coffee. Um, so each year you're trying to find that sweet spot. So I know people say to me every year, either there's not enough coffee or there's too much coffee in it. So I think when you have half the people say neither, I think we're fairly spot on. Um, I suppose for me, you know, I've had coffee beers, which are literally like a, a pint of coffee, and I find that a bit off-putting. I just wanted a subtlety there. And that's what we try trying to aim
4: for.
1: Cormac do you find that certain kind of certain styles of coffee work um work better than others like you, you know more you know kind of more darker roasts or lighter roasts more acidic more if, if, are you finding? That yeah you've seen we any- discovered
3: that very early on sorry we discovered that early on and um you know I've been up I go up to Badger Dodo and we'll taste some coffees and what I would consider a nice cup of coffee usually doesn't work when you put it in the context of in the beer um so the last couple of years there have been more kind of Ethiopian strains but i think at the start we tasted this lovely kind of Colombian. it was like rich chocolatey that's lovely you put it into the doubt then it's out and it just it's completely lost um so some of the coffees we've had over the last few years um as a coffee they're not very nice beans and so you get a lot of kind of red very kind of, you know, those kind of fruity flavors to it. Yeah. So it makes for us a slightly peculiar coffee on its own, but then those flavours come through better in the beer. Um, and on they're the chocolatey bit. end it gets lost in the dark. Yeah. They're um, they're a bit brighter, a bit brighter also, more acidic and fruitier. Exactly. And it just kinda I suppose comes through a bit more in the beer and you can say, Okay, that's the coffee, you know, I yeah. And it's funny, yeah, then you know you taste that coffee on its own, it's like you know, I wouldn't it wouldn't be my favorite cup of coffee on its own. You need to blend it with something, but we found that yeah, any kind of typical coffee, kind of traditional, with your coffee and you know your kind of crockly-y, roasty kind of flavors, you have all that going on already in the stout, so you don't need to add that. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, it just means we tend to go for more offbeat, kind of different kind of beans. Again, stuff that are normally used in the coffee world, blended with other ones to get a get your coffee. But um, so we
0: found that works for us anyway. And do you, end up trying, or do you end up trying a lot of different coffees every year to get the right one, or do you just try and go with the first one you have, like try and pick it right the first time based on the advice from the coffee people?
3: I suppose um, so we kind of have an idea now what works, what kind of styles, flavor profiles will work or not. Um, but then they can say, hey, we've got a brand new one in here. We just got in from wherever around the world. And as this kind of flavor profile, say, so, okay, let's try that and see um we normally try and whittle it down to a couple and then we come back to the brewery and decide um some years it's just a straight you know with this new interesting bean and like you can nearly just read out the flavor profile and said we know that's going to work Send me down some of that and try that um and other years you kind of say no no actually you know we need something different um right yeah but you kind of have an idea now what works or what to avoid really if it says on the description then it's not going to come true, you know. You have all that chocolate going on. We have chocolate malt in there. We've roasted malts in there already that are bringing all that flavor. So you have something else to add to the mix, I suppose. Right. Um, yeah. Coffee drinking and experimenting.
0: Oh, gee, let's think of it. Um,
2: I really love it, uh, and I th- I think you're spot on there and saying that it's like keeping the coffee down rather than up. Um, and I don't know how many coffee steaks I've had over the years that I've just. <laughs> it it just, I don't drink coffee so i just like drinking a pint of espresso or something it just knocks me out um, and I like the fact that like, keeps it, yeah, subdued so it's there and, and it complements it but it doesn't go overpowering because that's just something that oh, I just it triggers me, coffee states and it's too much <laughs> so I love the fun that it gets that. and I also, I really love um, the, uh, you've got the oatmeal missing spot on, texturally it's really right where it should be you know it's got that softness and that smoothness oh, it just kind of works so well particularly with coffee steaks tends to work so
3: well yeah I, I think it's i think it's like with any you know any flavors you add to beers i mean if you go over the top they kind of almost turn a bit novelty like you know you, you taste one and say oh yeah you know i get that coffee hit or oh, whatever it is you know fruit or whatever um but for something you want it to be drinkable i think you need to be more subtle with it that's so what I find, you know, a, you know yeah, exactly. like that hint of coconut, hint of coffee, whatever, exactly. you know, yeah. not being over for exactly.
2: anything. I think to a certain extent, you've got to let the beer do enough of talking as well, you know, and not just kind of make it all about your, your flavours. Um, and I certainly find that particularly when I'm homebrewing, it's, it's very easy just to want to make it kicky and big and, you know, brash. Um, and do when I'm homebrewing, I have to kind of dial that back a lot Get a better
1: product. really usually but still not. Yeah, and uh, probably, I'm sorry. Go yeah, I think it, like like you know, balance is is just so important to beer because you know, okay, you can you can say I I want to get a big blast of a particular flavor, but you know, when I drink beer, you know, uh, it's not that I want to overconsume, but I like to have a couple. Um, and if you're getting really kind of um, overwhelming kind of flavors, you know. Uh, it's it just doesn't you know you're just not able to actually kind of consume that after a while, you know. Sometimes you go to festivals and try different beers, and yeah, you get these absolutely kind of amazingly powerful flavors coming off of a few things. But um, I remember being at a festival in Brussels a couple of years ago, and you know, every every you know every every brewery there had these kind of big imperial stouts on, and between the alcohol and the flavors, you could manage a thimbleful. Like literally a thimbleful. It was. It was. It was just so overwhelming, and a lot of it just didn't have that balance. And you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to sit down and you know, beer, you know, yes, it should be a flavor experience, but it's a social experience. And you want to sit down and have a couple beers with somebody, you know, you you don't want to be kicked in the head each time, uh, you know, you 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 take a sip of the beer. Um, as I, like, what Cormac and Johnny have said is absolutely like the balance needs to be there. Otherwise, it's not really, not really enjoyable.
0: I think that's probably a lot of maybe in the craft brewing, not necessarily in Ireland, but craft brewing in America. That they seem to have gone way over the top to get attention, and, and at least in the early days, you know, it was all thirty percent alcohol and hops everywhere, and it just they went, they went very extreme. Yeah,
3: I mean, there's a place to be extreme as well, and I like you know, it's great to be pushing the boundaries. As Rick said, sometimes that place is just at a beer festival where you take little sips and say, "Wow, this is you know full on this and full on that." But you know that's not necessarily the beer you want to sit down and have a couple on a Friday night watching TV yes. or something. You know, so yes. there is there is a place for everything. I'm not saying people shouldn't be bold and push the boat out, but for me, for my personal taste, and that's I suppose what comes through the beer is like this is the kind of beer I want to get come sit down and drink a few of, and you know not be, not be overwhelmed by coffee whatever the flavor is um yeah there's 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 a place
0: for everything really yeah Yeah. and that's the thing like the beers you all do it's all what you like to drink yourselves it's not necessarily going for what you'd you know what you think the big market is it's something you'd like to you'd enjoy
2: yeah i think so I, i think that's often where a lot of the really kind of overpowering and overly infused beers kind of come from a desire to in a crowded marketplace kind of stand out or make a splash or make an impact or be different and at the end of the day, at the end of the day if, if the beer backing it up maybe isn't of that quality and you're just kind of looking for a short fix and looking for kind of an easy easy headline almost and i think that will shine through and the beer it, it won't work and it won't be bad so it won't be right mm-hmm. you know and and that's why we get beers that do have really, really intense flavours and are really heavily infused. That's brilliant. I mean, I remember I had um, the Speedway State from Ailsmith's there a few months ago. with my hands on a can of it, and it's loaded. Um, but it was brilliant. It was really good. And that's because, I mean, the state on the beer was excellent, uh, and it was done right. Um, but often, just when they're over infused, it's kind of it's attention-grabbing almost, and then uh, it just usually seems like I find
0: yeah, Cormac, you're, you're also in Dungarvan. Everything you do is bottled, it's in bottle, and it, it basically keeps fermenting in the bottle. Is it bottle conditioned? It's not all bottles, <laughs> like,
1: oh. yeah. I this must, um, this, must be a, this must be a national first. It's is this this is probably the first Irish can conditioned beer, isn't it, Cormac? I
3: do you know what I've learned a long time ago to never claim to be the first because you'll have someone straight <laughs> on Twitter say actually so. I don't know that but um yeah we well we we used to bottle everything. I mean we at the start we bottled everything and then yeah it's bottle conditioned and then as a natural progression um we started putting beer in cask even just for beer festivals. Um and then we you know the last year, we've done a little bit of keg most of that just is local now and as Rick just showed there we've started experimenting you now with cans. Um apparently cans are in, you know, who knew <laughs> um <laughs> It's funny because a few years ago, you had the likes of probably Metal Man were one of the first, you know, there's a couple in there towing it and you're kind of, there's probably a lot of people hanging back saying, I want, let's see how this goes, you know, but, um, you know, yeah, cans are, cans are huge. And um, I suppose we were just, you know, playing with the idea over the last few years of, well, we bottle condition and should we start canning as well? And like, let's try can condition. Now we've, we've done a few trials just to see if it's something we can go with though. So, Hopefully, over the next few months, we'll try and bring out some some, beer, some of our, our beers in can and yeah, see how it goes. Um, but yeah, the, the can condition as well, which is you know another little challenge for us. Um, yeah, interesting time. So, have you? Um, you have it all? The, the shelves of the office. Sorry, Brian. I was just going to say it's amazing to see the change over the last few years where it's like can has become dominant. And um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, because it about the, time we,
0: we, but. what Does that change the, the taste of the beer, or is it something that you can control now? Will it end up slightly different because from the bottle conditioned? I mean, technically it shouldn't. I
3: mean, it's the same beer. We're going to treat it the same um, pretty much as much as possible as if it was in bottles. So we, we're, we're, while we were doing a few trial batches, we were trying to keep the process pretty much the same. Um, you know, you, you do you do the same when you take cask, and people would say it's a completely different pair from the cask. You know, um, yeah. It, you know, there's 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 what happens within the container, and then there's probably people's perception as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, uh, we will find out soon enough, I suppose.
1: That's the Black Rock Stout from the can, Cormac, it, it tastes wonderful. It looks great. So, yeah, I think that's the first one that left
3: um, left on Garvin, I'd say, anyway. Wow. Well. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but, you know, yeah, yeah the, probably, that's just a You, 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 you. In terms of getting your CO two volumes correct, it's, it's, a, it's a. I mean, you must be, you know, the the absolute experts at it when it comes to the bottle conditioning. At the, at the are you having to change much in terms of the way you deal with CO two in the in the can conditioning? Um, yeah, we we find it just altered slightly. Um, you know, we've had a lot
3: of help and input. The lads from Dot brewery actually, I think they do some of their um seasonals and conditions so we got a bit of advice from okay. them as to how they found it and um yeah and as part of the process just tweaking that as well yeah the, the level of carbonation you want in the can um compared yeah. to the bottle um yeah so there's little tweaks like that that we're just around with hopefully yeah we'll get there with something
0: it'll be interesting to see but yeah i was amazed by how the cans came on as well they came out of nowhere really because even outside of ireland probably a lot of it, it you know, it's still, bottle is, is is the main way, well, outside of maybe English-speaking countries, maybe I'll put it that way, because in America, they'd be big in cans and in England, but you look at Belgium or something like it's still primarily bottles and bottle-traditioned. Although
2: you are seeing now, I mean, the shop started doing cans there about
0: yeah.
2: a year ago, and some of the traditional Belgian breweries um, are starting to transition. It surprised me, I kind of never thought they'd change, I never saw that coming.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that, all right, mm. that someone were doing it. But, um, yeah, it, it's surprising. Because, I don't know. I, I think I'm old-fashioned that, yeah, pouring it from a bottle feels different to me from pouring it from a can. It just, viscerally, it, it just feels like it's, you know, the bottle is something nicer. <laughs> um, that's probably age, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it, it feels different. Um, I was wondering whether it, whether it changed the flavour, whether that's why a lot of them were like were resistant, or is it
1: just tradition Say, like a lot of the a lot of the Belgians in particular,
0: um, but yeah, I think it's.
1: I think just, it's just. I think it's. I think it is tradition. I think it's also kind of. But you know, uh, everybody has their perception about what packaging format should be used, and um, you know, uh, you know, by all accounts, from a technical perspective, the can would be, you know, the 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 better packaging format for the freshness of the beer, um, yeah. if everything is if, if you know if the cans are being filled properly, um, but yeah, there is kind of a lingering perception that a, a, a better quality beer comes in a bottle. Yeah. You know, it, the other thing you have is if you've got, depending on, you know, like, a lot of the big, uh, you know, depending on, you know, how you're treating the beer before it goes into a can, you know, if you've got, if you're making a beer with, with, with wild yeast or brittonomicis in it, uh, wow. you know, you need to make sure that that's, you know, it, it that's one of the reasons why you'll find, like, you know, a goose or, you know, it's going to be in a very heavy-gauge bottle with a cork and crown, you know, because you've got Pressure issues in the, you know, in the in the package, because the you know basically these wild yeast strains will keep going and going and going. Um, so if you put that into a can, you know, you've you've got to be aware of you know, uh, you know potential problems of cans exploding on the shelves. So I mean, some of them some of them do pasteurize before they package now, so they're you know they would be you know killing the yeast, but you know it just depends on the type of beer you're making as well, as, as, and, and whether or not it's suitable for a can.
0: Right, yeah. Well, yeah, it's intuition. I mean, it's the same thing to do with wine, really. Like, you know, the New World wines all have screw tops, and they're probably better for, you know, if you're going to be drinking it any time, any kind of, any bit fresh. But, yeah, there's still people like to take the cork yeah. out of the bottle.
2: Even from yeah. an aging point of view, I mean, beers that are meant to be aged, and wines that are meant to be aged, you're almost better having a cork or, Having a, a less than one hundred percent seal to allow small length oxidation for yeast. So certainly, I mean, French wines are with cork do typically will age and um, to a very level of complexity than a lot of screw cap wines. And I would expect yeah. the same to be same for canned beer. If it's a Belgian quad or a barley wine that you want to keep for three yeah. or four years, you probably are better off maybe having it in the bottle. In that
0: yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's all about well a lot of it about age and about uh, the type of whether the yeast is still alive or not and and how fresh you're you're going to drink the beer after it's made interesting though it's still yeah the demand for it kind of strikes me that you know it's not a brewer pushing it because it's easier to get on keep on the shelves or do anything it's that it's demand driven that people want the cans and you always see that when when you know something is finally on can or something like that people seem to celebrate
3: Yeah, there's certainly far. I I feel there's far and against, but, and even some just practical, like you know, hands um, are easier to carry and stack and whatever you know
4: yeah.
3: things like that. Even people like to see. Um, yeah, and then there's also maybe yeah pure perception, but people people like to open the bottle. You know. Yeah. No. No, uh, it's
0: anyway. That, that's just an aside, but it is interesting mostly, how it's gone and how. It's- <laughs> Oh yeah, it's
3: interesting how, like as I say, over the last probably five six years, it's really taken off. Um, I'd say we'll probably sell bottle most of ours, but it'd be nice to have option of having some in cans as well. You know, so a potent ball camp, I suppose. Um, yeah, probably similar discussions like when everything went from cask to keg there about whatever fifty six years ago. You know, like everything for everything far like picking is all, you know, quality and consistency and everything. But people are feeling like, oh yeah, but we want this coming. You like that bit of unknown or the, you know, uniqueness to it. But there's like, you probably get that with the cork beers as well. You know, like you said, your wines, I mean, probably less spoilage in like, a screw cap wine, but, you know, people want that tradition as well.
0: Oh, i experience. Just yeah. trying to, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the, like, you know, if you're, if you're there, it's drinking a beer and drinking wine. It's not just the beer or wine, it's the experience. It's the where you are and the people you're with and the experience of opening it, and it's everything. Yeah, and, but you
3: can also get that with cans now as well, you know. Um, you know, people are selling that different type of experience, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, I wouldn't be far against either one. Uh, it's just it is interesting to see how the market has changed, you yeah. know, I think there's a question there about the 440 mil. Um, I'll leave that one to Johnny because I have no idea where 4, 4, 440 mil came from, but they're a nice size, I think. Um,
2: yeah, um, pass it off to me. I'm I don't actually know um, exactly why that became the standard. Um, trouble switched to 444 mil before I joined, so I can't say why that was <laughs> the now, I'm afraid. Um, I, d- I don't know. To be honest, I really, really don't know.
1: If I had, if I were to hazard a guess at it, uh, this is from Brandon.
3: um. It's kind of like the the (coughs) schooner, the two-third pint. It is like a, it is a nice size, I suppose. Um, Yeah, and maybe it differentiates from. Is it? I'm not sure. I think it also, like, like it kind of differentiates from other cans in the in the supermarket the office as well. I suppose you know, it's kind of. It also, it's almost like the craft size now, which is interesting. Yeah.
1: But it also allows people to hit a different price point. I think that might be the, like, you know, it's, um, you know, if somebody's going in and they're buying, you know, uh, a certain number of 500 mil cans, you know, the overall price is going to be higher than if it's, if it's, uh, you know, four, you know, 440 mil cans or a 440 mil can. So it, it allows, I think for a lot of breweries, it, it just means that you can, you can, you can have the beer on the shelf at a price point, which is maybe more conducive to the consumer. Um, you know it's it's if you if your can is on the shelf for you know 310 as opposed to 375 or whatever it might be it's just, it's lost, just even though yeah. hmm? no sorry i think everyone just froze from here all
0: right okay no i'm uh, sorry i'm going to bring noel up here i don't know he, he wants to Noel. yeah can you hear me
2: guys yeah yeah brilliant no, first of all, I just want to say thanks a million. It's been very interesting listening to the three of you talk, and thanks, Brian, for organising it. Fantastic. I've enjoyed uh, having a little taste of each of the beers. I didn't drink them entirely because it would have been too much at uh, this time on a Saturday. But um, it's been really li- lovely listening to you guys. Uh, I did wonder, um, what, what do you think internationally? I know you've talked a lot in, uh, nationally, Ireland, and I think we kind of have um, you know, a, a real heritage with, with stout and with porter. Well, do you find sales internationally uh, change, or the tastes change internationally for uh, stouts and porters? Um, I, I think so. Um, I I, I live for, uh, for a year in New Zealand and um, working in the beer industry there, um, and I find that I mean there is as much as little as stouts are a major sellers here. I mean over New Zealand, it was barely a factor. And um, where I was working, I was trying to persuade. Uh, the, the buy in state things like that and they were having one of it and um, so you know there was there was no state culture there at all they were, a lot of people were very dismissive of the idea of state and mm. those that were tended to be much lighter and they were all quarters um, rich dry states didn't exist um, so I think I was certainly quite out of my experience That's, there's been a bit of difference certainly between Ireland and Zealand anyway
0: uh, anyone else got, got an opinion on kind of Foreign opinions supporter is it all? Do you think it's all driven by Guinness as well? Probably is. I think. I think in the states. I missed that question there. I, I, I lost you for a second. So we're, no, I was just asking about. Sorry, no I'll let you.
1: I, I think in the states that the the culture is definitely driven by Guinness. Like most people actually in the states view Guinness as a craft brewery. Um, they don't see it as being maybe kind of like a you know a large multinational in the same way that we do here so if you're looking you know in this in the states on the on the on the you know on the craft side i don't i don't believe there's a a lot of interest in in stouts and porters you know it's probably a smaller niche than it is here um uh and as far as you know the majority of people in the states are concerned you know guinness is is you know guinness is a is a a craft beer uh uh and that's the one that will kind of still dominate um on the continent i'm not sure i mean uh uh, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a very you know it's it's not a it's not a big demand category um, you know even as a as an Irish brewery kind of say, say selling a bit of beer in France or Italy it's you know they're it, they're, they're not it's not our you know it's not our porters or our ambers our red ales that are that are really kind of in demand um, you know we sell a, a small amount but but it's it's not where the real demand is okay,
0: okay Noel, are you still there yeah. Yeah, because I, I know. Well, I, I'm surprised that there isn't much because I thought. Uh, well, I suppose it depends how you classify. It, like brown beers, dark ales are reasonably popular on the continent. I think whether they come to them as porters or stouts, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, you can see different darker beers, but they tend, I think they tend to be sweeter. Um, you know, like they're they're they're. You know, when you're looking at dark beers in the states, they tend to be con- or, sorry, in the continent, they tend to have a a, a, a a. Very definitely, kind of a sweeter component to them um right you know <clears throat> germany with dark lagers they tend to be quite sweet um and most of that them are it's a very different that sorry johnny just
2: the, the doubles over in belgium the, the dark ones tend to be again, kind of sweeter to it.
1: yeah and you don't get quite that roasted impact it's a different it's a different kind of characteristic to it
0: and listen guys um i promise to keep it short um i think i'm running over a little bit of time but thanks a million for your time If you've been listening to this, you probably enjoy visiting a brewery and trying to you know tour it, learn who the people are who make the brew, make the beers, um, see how they do it, and just get to know the local of the specifics of that particular brewery. Um, you've probably also found out that it's quite difficult to identify which brewers allow visitors. Many don't because they don't have space, they don't have time. A lot of breweries are gypsy brewers. They don't have their own facilities. So trying to dig all that out can be quite hard. That's why I set up breweryvisits.eu. Um, it's a list of, it's a directory of brewers that allow and welcome visitors. You know, it, it might be that they have set up tours, you know, kind of tours arranged, or that you can just call them and they're, they're quite happy to show you around. It's still growing. We have about 300 brewers in there out of about, thousands that i went through uh, so if, if you're interested in actually finding a brewer to visit when you're traveling around europe then check out breweryvisits.eu